0: I would like to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded on Jar Jar Country. We pay our respects to the traditional custodians of this land and acknowledge leaders and elders, past, present and future. Thank you. Hello and welcome. You are listening to Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. I'm your host, Gail Wilson, and together we will go through a series of storytelling, conversations, and strategies about leaning into life's lessons, the good, the bad, and the downright painful. As we journey back to ourselves and back to our intuition, through the lens of witness and reflection, we will work our way through a series of raw, stripped-back, relatable topics and personal experiences. There will be laughter, tears, and the occasional swear word because, hey, life is too short to hold back. So come along with me on this journey and let's talk life. You can follow and subscribe to Soul Care Bendigo's Naked to get notifications for upcoming episodes as they land in your space. So lend me your ears and your heart as we go through this journey together. Hello, hello, Soulies, and welcome to another episode of Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Today, this is our episode with Nerida Furman. Nerida is a local Bendigo woman. She is the solo founder and owner of Bar Society, a wellness center in Bendigo. Nerida has just recently been the finalist for the Bendigo Woman of the Year for the Business Excellence Awards, and Nerida is on a mission. And solely, the reason I really wanted to have her come into our tribe, come into our circle, is because the things that Nerida is going to speak with us today, in particularly about our midlife transition from our thirty-five through to our sixty and give that space in life some airtime, because it is a tricky one. We're not at the start of our lives, we're not at the end of our lives, and we need a bit of support, and that's exactly what Nerida specializes in. So Narada, welcome to this podcast, and it is a delight to have you in my home today.
1: Thank you, Gail. <laughs> it's really good to be here. I think um there's not a lot of conversation or support for women in this demographic or in this age, I suppose, and So often they're overlooked by the medical profession and the fitness industry often gets it wrong. So I'm really keen to, I suppose, clear up some of those misconceptions, but actually just talk about what it means to transition through this time in our lives and how we can do it in a more loving and supportive and intuitive way. Well, that is beautiful.
0: And that's how we should all be doing life more often. I think you've hit the nail on the head that we're in such a caring role in our life. It's really easy to come last. So, I appreciate you putting these women first and making it a forefront of conversation and mindfulness. Please, can you tell us about your qualifications and what you're doing in life and where you're at?
1: Yeah, sure. So, I've been, well, I suppose for the last 18 years, I have been working as a dietitian, but more so in the public health space. So, part of that role has been working for state and local governments, but also not-for-profit organizations like Nutrition Australia to run Obesity campaigns or programs for the CSIRO and so forth. So, but over the last seven years, I've really transitioned into wanting to work back one-on-one with women or in small groups of women, rather than at a population level. And that's what really drove me to start the studio. And it's been this lovely evolution in the sense that the women we tend to see now or to, that gravitate towards us are in that beautiful demographic that I love to serve—that 35 to sort of 60. Uh, your old, you know, age group. So yeah.
0: Well, I, I want to tell you listeners that I had a couple with Nerida and we are running a workshop together on the 10th of September. And that edit is going to be called the wake up edit. I just got talking to Nerida in regards to the wake up edit and all of us coming back out of hibernation and moving our body. And I thought I knew how to look after myself, but it's really fascinating. I'm doing a few things wrong. And if I'm doing a few things wrong, How many other women from 35 to 60 are maybe doing it not the best way for themselves, their bones, their hearts, their muscles, for many of us post-children? And this is where I'm like, oh my God, I thought I knew my shit, turns out not so much. So I really appreciate you coming in to talk about it and particularly because the biggest misconception is for me, as I hit 40, I thought menopause didn't start until 50, which it probably doesn't, but I didn't realize there'd be like a decade of pre-game action, which is where I've been sitting. Pre-game action of hot flushes, tried to endlessly search for the cool spot in the bed at night, coupled with still really awful periods. And I thought that awful periods were normal. I thought pain was normal. I thought discomfort and moodiness was normal. And I think what I've learned is they're all just tolerated symptoms, but it doesn't have to be that way. And so through the nutrition that we change as we get into this midlife transition time as well as the exercise we bring in, can you please share with us a little bit about what you would like to see women do and how they can transition, you know, from let's talk about the first thing that makes our periods uncomfortable is inflammation.
1: Yeah. Before we go to that, I do want to raise a point that you said you know, it's really interesting because you said you thought you had it all figured out and you actually did. So you actually did have it figured out, but that suited your body when you were, you know, in your 20s or your 30s. So it's not that you were doing anything wrong, it's that your body has changed. So this is something I see so commonly is that what used to work for women is no longer working. And there's nothing wrong with those things. You yeah. know, we're, we're doing all the right things, we're exercising the right way, we're eating pretty much in the right way. It's just that the rules have changed, right? So what you used to do no longer works and there's a whole lot of things that are happening internally and most of that we can in many ways put down to our hormones, I suppose. So mm-hmm. there's, there's a big change that happens and you're right, it is that 10 years or so before menopause and we'll get to information in a moment but women often think menopause is something that happens in their 50s and they don't realise that it really is 10, even 12 for some women, 15 years prior. And so women have a whole host of symptoms that they don't even attribute to being in this pyramidal. Perimetral- no, they yeah. don't. So they go seeking help from a naturopath for gut issues or they're not sleeping thinking it's insomnia or stress. And really when we, you know, peel back the layers, often these are perimenopausal symptoms. So hormones. Yeah, hormones is at the heart of so much of what we do. And some things we, you know, hormones are not just our estrogen or our progesterone. It's also melatonin, you know, sleep hormones, and we've got cortisol, our stress hormones, and, you know, all these other things, insulin, you know, which is involved with blood sugar regulation. So we don't sort of put this all together, but what happens is our sex hormones are our estrogen and progesterone do have an impact on all the other moments, mm. So it's a little bit like, you know, if you think about an orchestra, you know, they all can all play beautifully together when we're in our 20s and 30s. And then suddenly, you know, one of the violins starts playing to its own tempo or what have you, and it starts to impact the rest of the orchestra. So nothing seems to work as cohesively as it should.
0: Yeah, it's like the, the seamlessness that you had. And I think that's the tricky part, isn't it? When your body was at its peak, most of us trashed it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> most of us. Well, I could only talk for a handful of girls I know. We were dancing on podiums and doing all sorts of wild things. Yeah. And now it's like I'm not old. I totally understand yeah. I'm not old. But it's not working as fine-tunedly as it could. And also it's a lack of strength, like it's the change in how the strength is particularly around the pelvis, particularly in that hip space. And I hear this all the time, the simple symptoms of things like I'm just so tired all the time. Now generally speaking, we as a society have made tiredness a normal outcome of a busy life but then you realize actually you can be busy and be rested if you're well. If you've got balance within your hormones and your body, mind and spirit, you can do a very productive life and not feel constantly exhausted. That is another option but I think people think adulting just equals exhaustion but it doesn't have to be that way.
1: No, it doesn't but look, it's interesting because this part of midlife also correlates with the busiest time if we are mothers you know our kids are at that age where we are driving them to all the school sports every night of the week and then on Saturdays so i guess you mentioned at the start we're not always putting ourselves first so yes there is tiredness from being busy yes there is tiredness from being a woman and taking on so much but then a lot of it is it is a change hormonally as well we don't tend to sleep as well as we used to and and all sorts of things. And I think change in hormones comes in as change in stress levels as mm. well. So and demand. Yeah. Personal demand. At demand. Our anxiety goes up. We worry more. And that creates even more cascading problems as well. Okay. Okay. It's all not all doom this it is sounding all doom and no. gloom though. It's no, it's not it's all doom potential. and
0: gloom. I see potential in yeah. this yes,
1: it's which is exciting for women. Yeah. It's actually a beautiful time. If you can understand what's going on with your body, you can lean into it a little bit more and trust the process. I think a lot of women, when they don't know what's going on, rightly so, they kind of white-knuckle the ride, you know. And so, once you start to understand your body and you can trust your body, it becomes a much more empowering space. And then, funnily enough, with the women that I see mostly in the studio, it's giving them permission to actually do less, um, when often we think it's the opposite. We've got to do more and more and more, but it's permission to step back a little bit. And that applies to just putting up boundaries in your personal life about not taking on things that don't serve you, but also doing less in terms of an exercise and nutrition point of view, which we can circle back to.
0: Yeah, okay. So let's talk about just in terms of nutrition. Before we get there, let's talk about metabolism then and now. So what changes as we get older? Why is it harder to get the belly off (laughs) in your 40s, whereas you might have been someone who had a bit of a flat tummy well, I never I never had that privilege. I was blessed with good legs and a nice little boobs, but I never had a flat tummy. And so this is the thing women are saying, like I'm working my butt off in the gym, but I still mm. have this thickened mid-waist. So what's the difference in our metabolism from then to now, which changes then how we do our diet and our eating plans? Look...
1: I never had a flat tummy either. <laughs> so we're in good company here. Um, my body was definitely, if we think about those old shapes, that apple shape, mm. I was kind of the same as you. But look, th- there is a change and probably the belly is the thing that causes women the most upset, I suppose, particularly for women who have had a flat tummy. It's generally the thing that, you know, when our bodies, often we, it's interesting in this midlife, our body doesn't necessarily gain a huge amount of weight just from hormones, but it reshuffles itself, right? Yes. It's a bit like going through pregnancy. If you've been through pregnancy, suddenly, you know, you might be the same weight or the same clothing size, but there's bits in different spots that weren't there before and vice versa. So that's what tends to happen. We do get this sort of shift of, I'm going to use the word belly fat because that's really what it is, mm-hmm. which means that, you know, women can't do up their genes and all of those sorts of things. So that probably presents the first. And that's a really good sign that well, not a good sign, but that's probably one of the heads ups, I suppose, that you are sort of getting into that perimenopausal phase. So, if we look at what's happening hormonally, there's a number of hormones that are are changing here and I'll talk to a couple of them that are most important when you mention metabolism. Yes. So, testosterone, which is one of our sex hormones, we often think about that as being a male hormone, right? But we still produce it as well. Now, Testosterone is linked so much to our energy levels, but it's also linked to our ability to gain or maintain muscle mass and also to keep your metabolism up. So most of us, I think, are aware that muscle is what we call metabolically active, Mm -hmm. you know. And so testosterone starts to decline. Now that happens, you know, as we age anyway, it's not necessarily just perimenopause or menopause specific, but just in terms of getting a little bit older. So the declining testosterone levels means we get a decrease in our muscle mass yeah and we get lower energy levels so this reduces our metabolic rate yeah so how many calories or kilojoules if you like we burn at rest okay so at rest at at rest yeah. Yeah. yeah good to know yep so that means that you know like we talked about earlier what we used to eat we eat the same amount now but suddenly our, you know, our metabolic rate is lower so we can gain weight. Mm -hmm. That's a real key one. So it it means that we do need to shift things. Doesn't necessarily mean we need to eat less. Okay, that's a common misconception. We'll get back to that. So at the same time, though, that we have our testosterone hormones decreasing, so is our estrogen and our progesterone, okay? Estrogen is that main hormone that's linked to our reproduction Mm -hmm. ability. So that starts to decline sort of in your thirties until it reaches like the lowest level around that 50 mark, which is what we often think of menopause. So what our body does as this estrogen declines, it doesn't just decline on, on the way down, right? Like on a a linear line, sloping Mm -hmm. line, it actually fluctuates. And so your body tries to find a way to make up for this decline in estrogen. So what it actually does is your body lays down belly fat. Okay. And the fat cells actually produce a form of estrogen. Interesting. Right? So this belly fat kind of tricks your body into thinking... That there's estrogen there because it's trying to make up for the estrogen we're losing. It re- these fat cells release a form of estrogen. It's not as effective as the estrogen that we're losing, yeah. But that's why it's the fat Yeah. Can I take a pill to get more estrogen and not have it in my gut? <laughs> 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 yes, you can. Yeah. HRT.
0: <laughs> oh dear, I don't want to go that far.
1: <laughs> so th- this is why we we get the belly fat there, yeah. right? And and also we get, you know. As estrogen levels are are declining, a couple of other things are happening. So we, our body starts to crave sugary, fatty foods. So that makes it so much more tempting. And when we're tired, right, they're the foods that we go to. So those things make it difficult. We also get what we call insulin resistance, Okay, you know. So our body doesn't process carbohydrates um, as well as it used to. And when we get a lot of insulin release, which is sort of a fat storage hormone, our body obviously stores more fat.
0: Okay, so fascinating the way the body is constantly communicating with itself. And I've always said it's always interesting at what the body will do in survival mode. Because this sounds a little like survival mode in an energetic cellular level. And we know about this in our nervous system and our um, flight responses. But to hear that the body will add a layer of tummy fat to reassure you that all hope is not lost, and there is a little bit of insulin here. It's your second cousin insulin, but it's better than nothing. That's right. So incredible.
1: Yeah, the body is very smart, and so it's always trying to balance out these hormones. So, look, there's a couple of other things that make it harder to lose weight for mm-hmm. a lot of women. So some women find that they get a lot of joint and muscle pain. Yeah. Now that happens because of declining estrogen levels as well, and then also our sleep is affected. So it's affected by a couple of things. One, our melatonin levels which help us sleep, Mm -hmm. they start to decline so we don't fall asleep as easily or we certainly wake up in the middle of the night. That's what I hear a lot from my hairdressing clients is people
0: who wake up through the night and then they're reading their book Or, and this is what I would like to talk to as well. A lot of people will make a cup of tea. Is food a good thing to do to help you reset to get back to sleep or is it actually activating the body again and the digestion?
1: That's probably more on an individual basis, but I am hands up. I am one of those women. I woke up at 3 My typical is 3am. Yeah. It's part of it, you know, in mid sort of sleep cycle and I can't get back to sleep for about three hours. Oh, so I always thought, oh my goodness, maybe I'll get up and do some work. And so actually the best thing for me was actually to stay in yeah. bed because getting up, turning the lights on, you're actually reawaking the body. So I would suggest. Probably not getting up and eating. Mm -hmm. I would, you know, one of the key things is trying not to look at your phone, trying not to do anything that will kind of stimulate your body's awake response. For me, it's, you know, popping some headphones in and listening to some quiet music or something. That's the same for me or an audiobook. Audiobook is amazing. Coming back to some breath work if you can do it. It's really hard when you've got a bit of a crazy mind and you start thinking about work. and
0: especially if you, Well, especially if you're just angry, like if yeah. you wake up and you're just frustrated mm-hmm. and angry that you're not asleep, mm-hmm. especially if you have a partner next to you who is in the deepest sleep who actually kind of want to torment them by waking them up so they're also suffering. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> not overly- that, doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't do anyone any favors, though, does it? No, but, you know,
0: <laughs> it makes you feel better for just a moment mm-hmm. until you're all awake the next day grumpy. So. Yes, don't go poking your, your husband's or your other halves to get you through but certainly I find an audiobook, that's a, a story I've listened to many, many times before so I don't have to concentrate. Reiki music you can find on Spotify, that's a really great one for settling you back with your insomnia again. The breath work is really important in just getting lots of oxygen back into the body to help carve down any frustration or anger that you might be or even rage that you might be starting to get into at your frustration at not being back to sleep but Recognizing equally that stillness and rest is just as good as shut-eye experience. So potentially even looking into uh, meditation through that awake time to keep your nervous system really calm and to realize that sleep will come if your body truly needs it. If not, you might
1: be starting your day at 4 a.m. And you're exactly right. I think part of what's been really helpful for me is taking the pressure off and knowing that this is a normal part of it rather than sort of fighting your body yeah. on it, just leaning into it and go, you know, all is okay in the world. I'm just awake for a little bit. But yet you did mention too that anger. It's really interesting because, you know, often that comes down to anxiety. Mm-hmm. We, our anxiety levels are up during this time in our lives, um, which is all normal. That's due to a cortisol imbalance as well, that fight or flight hormone, which we can talk about later in inflammation. So it's normal to feel frustrated, you know, like that meditation can be beautiful. There's another two things that I'd add to that list. One is so that you don't wake up and have this to-do list in your mind of all the things you need to do. And it sounds really simple and often we hear this sort of technique and we think, "Oh, oh, yeah, you know, I'll get to it. But even just writing out that list the night before of the things you need to do, I find a gratitude list can be really helpful as well, things I'm grateful for. That just helps me to settle my nerves, just calm down before bed, And then writing my to-do list, it just takes it off my mind. So I know at 3 a.m., I don't have to run through everything I need to do the next day. It's prepared. It's already taken care of. And you're
0: grounded. So you're grounded before you wake with your insomnia and you're shifting the reality of sleep to awake because, Mm -hmm. as you said, it's not that you want to turn your brain on, but definitely the pre-bedtime lists are fantastic, Mm. particularly if you suffer from anxiety in your insomnia It's a really beautiful, gentle way to set yourself up, even for a good night's sleep, but even better for the next day. Yeah.
1: And a lovely sort of bedtime routine, like you mentioned a cup of tea when you get up in the middle of the night. I probably wouldn't do that in the middle of the night, but possibly before bed could be a nice time to do it. Same way with screens off an hour Mm. or two beforehand, if your work allows for that. All of those things, you know, it's like stacking little strategies, one on top of the other that can really help. I did mention melatonin. You can actually get, look, your GP can prescribe melatonin. If your insomnia is quite bad, it's not necessarily a bad thing to get a little bit of support. Oh, absolutely. There's natural melatonin alternate sprays now. That's exactly right. All the sprays I was going to go to, I often use that. I have it in the cupboard. Now look, sometimes interestingly, if I do get up at 3 a.m., I might grab a melatonin. Yeah. Now, is that really helping me get back to sleep? It's often at that point more we a placebo, mm-hmm. but that totally doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. I feel like I've done something productive to help induce the sleep. And that is enough to just sort of send me back without worrying that I'm going to be.
0: It's just another thing in the toolkit, isn't it? Like you said, it doesn't matter if it works or not. You've contributed to trying, which is
1: another thing that decreases anxiety as well. Yeah, exactly. And just to link around to that sleep routine becomes particularly important if we swing back to sort of weight gain as well because we know that poor sleep can make it more difficult to maintain our weight and certainly to lose weight. I didn't know that. Oh, you didn't. No, did not know that. Ah, oh, there you go. That's why when, you know, whenever I'm working with someone around weight loss, you know, often nutrition or exercise isn't the first thing I look at, it's actually sleep. Okay. And most commonly it's someone who's struggling with their sleep when we don't sleep well, our cortisol levels rise. It's our stress hormone, our flight or flight hormone as well. But also it ties directly to our hunger and satiety hormones. So when we have less sleep, our hunger hormone called ghrelin actually switches on. Okay. So it makes us crave. you know, when you're tired, like for me on a Friday night, I'm tired from the week and it's like, give me chocolate. It's sugary, fatty things that are going to boost energy. So we crave those things. And it also doesn't switch on leptin like it should. And leptin is a hormone that actually tells us we're full and we're satisfied. Okay. So we have our body working against us. So yeah. again, sleep becomes really important. But when we're dealing with things like, you know, anxiety and then hot flushes and all of those other things, like night sweats is definitely one for me that I've got in my mid-40s. It does make it difficult. Mm.
0: Can we come back to what are we going to circle back to? Inflammation? Yeah. I'd just like to share an experience that I've had recently with Nerida and with all of you out there. So as I mentioned earlier, I've been having some horrific periods that I thought was how everyone else did periods. Now we're talking about the second day heaviness. I had that the whole time for five or six days. And recently, my iron levels were all over the place, and as we know when we take an iron supplement, it often can take quite, you know a good couple of months to actually work. And so I kept bottoming out, my immune system was crappy. And again, I went through it way longer, honestly, nearly 15 years of living this particular way and not really understanding it. And so when I went to a gynecologist and had a talk, they said that just because I have a bit of an unusual body, I could not have a hysterectomy, which is the the drastic thing that they were going to do because I had some... Adhesions on the inside that meant that there was most likely going to be bowel damage and I would possibly end up with a back. So they're like, we can't do a um, hysterectomy for you. And because of the unusual shape of your womb space, we can't do the modern technique where we might kind of laser the inside of your womb to kind of cauterize it so you're not having such horrendous loss. So then what they did was put me on a hormone replacement therapy and I was just not allowed to get my period at all. Now, at the start, this seemed really cool you know, all those weirdo hairs that grow out of random spots that go from zero to like an inch long in a blink of an eye, all of that was suppressed. The periods were suppressed and it seemed good. I was like, this is amazing until seven kilos went on. And then I was like, oh, okay, well, three or four kilos, I don't mind at seven. That's the heaviest I'd ever been. And then what ended up happening is I just felt Yeah, I actually, I don't love getting my period, but I love knowing that my body's doing what it's supposed to do. And so then it was like, how do I balance this? And I found a local girl, um, Cedar Jaric, who has a Chinese herbalist and acupuncture. So I started seeing that she was talking a lot about hormonal work and I started saying to her, I really want to get off this tablet, but I can't keep going the way I was going. And so for me, now this is just my personal experience. This is not a medical recommendation. But I couldn't keep going on that medication any longer. And we started assessing my body and working through diet and things like that. And I've spoken to Narita before about different reasons. You know, having a glass of water with dinner was a no no that I didn't realize. And things like, um, well, diluting that gut enzymes to digest the things that I really was, again, probably not necessarily eating the best things for me at this time of my life based on the inflammation. And like you talk to, When I decided to get off the medication and instead went and saw a Chinese herbalist, got some acupuncture done, have this um, manky drink that I have to drink every morning, it has drastically changed my periods for me and my personal experiences. They're cleaner, there's no pain, there's no inflammation, but I also had to adjust my diet. So yes, it was cutting back sugar. Yes, it was cutting back on some caffeine. Yes, it was realizing when I eat and how I ate and... Then I had this follow-up point with the osteo when I had a, a week where I'd kind of eaten a lot of shit. I'd been on holidays. I drank more alcohol. I don't normally drink alcohol midweek at all. I can go months kind of without a drink. And I just went to the osteo. I'm like, oh, I've got this lower pelvic pain and I've got all this pain in my hips. And he went on to talk about when we get our periods and when we're having big hormone flushes that everything swells up and gets a bit clumper inside, then we add sugar. He's like, if you imagine – any hormonal time, but let's talk about inflammation as a beast. So he's like, if you imagine if you're someone who has puffy knees, swollen ankles, if you imagine that around that is kind of like a troll at a gate and it can be there and it's present and it has some purpose, you know, fluid and inflammation has some safety precautions that the body is doing to protect something. And he's like, but if you imagine there's a troll at the gate and you go and feed a spoonful of sugar and it's going to flare up, it's going to get agitated, it's going to get angry. And then it's going to grow a little bit in size, And then you're going to go add it some stress. And we're going to feed it some cortisol. And then we're going to also feed it some deep food. And we're going to feed it alcohol. And all of a sudden, what was just a martyr at the gate of protection, all of a sudden turns into this inflamed purple beast that you've actually hand fed. There's got to be another way to do that. And so then we started talking about inflammation and its purpose versus what we contribute to it to make it worse. So if we're talking about hormone, if we're talking about our bellies and this bloating and this swelling that happens through these poisons and through life, can you talk to me about, so that's his version of inflammation and feeding it, literally feeding it spoon by spoon of the things that's going to make it angry and more frustrated. Can you tell me with your experience with inflammation, what's something that you talk to women to about that? How do you explain it? How do you teach them how to keep the beast quieter and more settled
1: yes so interesting that's such a good story I think it's really important though when we talk about inflammation there's two different types okay good so in the sense that inflammation is actually a natural response of the body right so we can't stop all inflammation it's the way inflammation happens so let's just talk about that for a moment so this inflammatory response is actually the body's natural reaction to injury or infection. But the difference is it can be either acute, which means it happens kind of quickly in a short period of time, Mm -hmm. sort of immediately. Like a rolled ankle? Yeah, Yeah. probably more like that. Or it can be chronic. So chronic just means extended periods of time. Like we sort of always have this inflammation. So the acute type is actually, yeah, like let's say a rolled ankle, for example, where your immune system releases white blood cells to surround and protect the area. That's a really good response, right? It's part of the natural healing process. We want that to happen. So we don't want to actually turn that off, but that should only last a short period of time. And that's really beneficial. It's this chronic inflammation. And look, we are in a society where inflammation is at the root cause of so many things. And as you were telling your story, I was thinking about my own experience with migraines and I've been a chronic migraine sufferer for many, many years and so much of my exploration and I know we're moving a little bit away from perimenopause but that's okay. Interestingly, migraines can flare up during perimenopause and menopause. Okay. But so much of migraine management too is around how do we control just inflammation overall in the body? Yeah, because it is a bit of a sort of an inflammatory response. But this chronic inflammation can cause a huge raft of problems. So it can be linked to diabetes, heart disease, you know, Alzheimer's disease, all sorts of things. Alzheimer's. So, Did not know that either. Yeah. So basically what happens is when, you know, we have this inflammatory response but it lingers. Mm-hmm. So our body keeps pumping out these white blood cells but what happens is rather than Getting rid of the bad stuff, these cells actually, or these white blood cells actually go and attack healthy organs and tissues. So we cause ongoing damage to the body. And that's, I think, the inflammation that we're talking about with Mm, your story and that, you know, those symptoms that you had that was so not nice to experience. So, you know, your immune system essentially sees your body as a threat and attacks itself. So that's sort of chronic inflammation. Now, interestingly, tying that back to perimenopause. Remember early in the conversation we talked about our body putting down extra fat cells around our tummy, right? So our immune system sees that actually as a threat. Okay. So our white blood cells then go and attack these oh these dear. fat cells. It's <laughs> dramatic. <laughs> it is. It is. There's a little army going on inside the yes. body. I know. So it's your body working against you. So I suppose that change where our body lays down fat cells, we can't always control that, but it's how do we respond to this inflammatory or immune response and how do we calm things down in the body and even though perimenopause is what they actually call pro-inflammatory there's so much that we can do without actually going down the medical route okay you know from a nutrition point of view from an exercise point of view to actually keep that chronic inflammation on the lowdown I suppose okay so give us your wisdom what (laughs) can we do well, you know, I'm always going to talk about food, aren't I? Because being a dietitian, that's the key. And so whenever I'm working with a client, it's having a look at what are some of the beautiful foods that we can put into the body? And what are the, some of the things that we can eliminate? So my approach is always before we start to demonize a whole lot of foods mm-hmm. and say, no, you can't have this. No, you can't have that. I always think it's much more empowering to say, what is all the good stuff we're going to put into our body first? Okay. And when we do that, we naturally do what I call crowd out. You know, if we have so much of the good stuff, there's not enough room for the bad stuff anymore, right? So that's a much nicer space to approach nutrition, I think. And life. Totally. Yeah. So, look, there is, you know, one of the best, if we talk about the word diet, but I like to use the word nutrition plan instead, you know, anti-inflammatory foods are, are most commonly linked to the Mediterranean diet. Okay. Yeah. So some of the best research around what works for perimenopause and inflammation is a Mediterranean diet. Okay. So, for those, a lot of this isn't going to sound, it's not rocket science, I suppose, but you know, fruits and vegetables, mm-hmm. pretty simple, right? If you can pack your plate with as many vegetables as you can. And what fruits? Is there some fruits better than others? I don't think so. Okay. You know, I think it's interesting. We're in a world where, or a time where low carb is everything, mm-hmm. keto is everything. And so, fruits, do get demonized they, do. they yep. do but fruits are so beautiful for your gut they're so beautiful for your skin you know if we're talking about anti-aging mm. these are the things we want right there's other foods that i would cut out before i'd ever cut out fruit okay and
0: when should we eat our fruit because i was eating it with the desserts mm-hmm. and i got told no you really
1: shouldn't be having cold wet items after a warm meal so this sounds like a Chinese medicine approach. though, is that right? If you're talking about temperature uh, and aviator and things like that, just that, yeah. and that it can
0: create a bit of damp in the body, which again mm-hmm. can create slowdown and all sorts of other
1: things. Mm-hmm. But you don't have that experience. You're just like, whatever it happens, it's good. For some women, yes, whenever it happens, it's good. Yeah. For me, it's more about if you've got any bloating, digestion issues, which is really, really common mm-hmm. in perimenopause um, and menopause because declining estrogen levels mean that our gut doesn't work as well as it should. And progesterone impacts the gut motility as well. Mm -hmm. But for some women who are dealing with digestive issues, then I say have your fruit at the start of the meal rather than at the end. The reason being is if we have it at dessert, which, look, it is a fabulous dessert, don't get me wrong, but if we have it at the end after we've eaten heavier protein foods and fatty foods, Our body hasn't digested that protein and fat yet. And then we put the fruit on top and actually the fruit can sit in your gut and and ferment. So it creates more gas, more bloating, right? So that's not as ideal. If you have it, you know, half an hour, 30 minutes before your meal, your body's going to clear the fruit out of your body first and then you can have the heavier stuff. So that's a good time to do it. Sometimes I might work with women around having fruit earlier in the day as well. So the liver has time to metabolize it. That can be great. One of my favorite ways to work with women is to have a smoothie in the morning that's full of heaps of fruit and veg. Yep. Great. Brilliant. Easy to digest. It's going to give your body and your gut all what we call like the prebiotics that your body needs, Mm -hmm. which is the food that feeds the good gut bacteria. So it keeps your hormones on track. That's a wonderful way to do it. So smoothies are probably better
0: in the start of the day. I think so. Great. I I feel better, like personally, but I know some people are having them for dinner. I'm like, well, I think you need to chew at dinner.
1: I mature at dinner time as well. Look, the reason I love smoothies, and I must admit, smoothies in winter Uh-huh. They are hard. Let's face it, no one wants to chow down on something that's green I in winter. I just use the frozen stuff.
0: Yeah. And I don't use milk in the winter because mm-hmm. it's already chilled. Yes. So I'd be more likely to go for a water smoothie at that time of the year, banana base with lots of greens and things like that. Maybe a product that might enhance it that's a, from a health food store or something like that because I'm the same. I find smoothies really difficult in the winter, but that's where we can look at soup as an alternative. You just took
1: the words out of my mouth. Soup is my favorite in winter. That's a beautiful dinner, thing, yeah. right? Yeah. And I think it's a little bit more hearty and nourishing. And I think there's something to be said for eating around the seasons and respecting that need for comfort and, you know, comfort and warmth. So I do agree with that. But coming into spring now, mm. smoothies are amazing. The other reason I love them is one, they're super family friendly. Yes. And, you know, women at this age, most of us have kids that are they're more demanding, I suppose. So life is busier, right? So I don't know about you, but my kids will sometimes not touch vegetables at night. But if I make a smoothie in the morning, they want what I'm having. Mm. So I just make double and then I just divide it amongst all of us. So that works beautifully. You can also make them the night before, which is amazing. So you can grab and go. Okay. And if, you know, if you don't get time to sit down, I mean, I don't really sit down and have breakfast until... The kids are at school so I can drink it on the run. That's really great. Can I just add this little tip that someone taught me? If you have children
0: who are really fussy with the green, make sure you always make it in a drink bottle that's dark coloured mm-hmm. so they can't see the colour of the smoothie to get all those veggies in yep. and the green in. Also, so,
1: yes, banana, like yes. you said before, neutralises green flavour. Okay. So good. So don't I be afraid of, of celery. That.
0: But every time I put mm-hmm. celery, I'm like, there's definitely celery in here. You cannot describe celery in a smoothie. But isn't that a great product for anti-inflammatory? Amazing.
1: Well, celery is really great for fluid retention and bloating. Okay. So it'll help if you're a little bit puffy, all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, it'll help clean your system out. So that's brilliant for that. Cucumber's great as well. Okay. But the other thing I love about smoothies too in the morning is there's something to be said, and I think this is a bit of a mindset shift, if you do something really good, it's like a little bit of self-care in the morning, right? If you can do something lovely for your body, it doesn't matter if the rest of the day goes a bit shake. No. You know, that's a nice way to put it. I was yeah. going <laughs> to use something that wasn't as podcast friendly. Yeah. If it goes pear shake, which it will, mm-hmm. right? At least you've got, you know, you, you don't just blow something off. Yeah. You've ticked something off. You're not going to blow the whole day off. And I think as women, we, we tend to go, well, what's the point of even trying now that, you know, half the day is gone or mm-hmm. I've stuffed it up. So if you do something really good for yourself, then, you know, you're almost halfway there for the day. Yeah. You know, I think that's something that feels really good. And it sets you up for for a better commitment to
0: yourself Mm -hmm. all day long Mm -hmm. as well.
1: Yeah, your energy levels are better. You know, your blood sugar control is good. Like you're going to get that steady release of energy throughout the day. So, you know, you're nourishing your gut, you're nourishing your energy levels, your hormones are going to love you because of it. I mean, what's not not to love. love? Yeah. Yeah. And tell us about movement. So
0: with Bar Society that you have in Bendigo, Narrator is coming to the September workshop that we're doing is going to be, like I said, about waking back up out of spring. So in terms of movement, what is a really great, as we're going through this midlife transition, what's a beautiful way of doing movement for people who are feeling stiff, sore, maybe have extra weight on that they're not used to exercising through? Because I'm not into torture chambers. Me, I like, I love something where I've got a flow and I feel really feminine when I do it because that's the side of me that can often get squished down through masculine activity all day long and discipline actions and all that sort of stuff. So I really love a movement that feels like I'm back to my feminine self. I feel beautiful. So tell me about what you think is
1: a really great way to beautifully do exercise in our midlife transition. Yeah, I love that. I love that you say that about bringing the feminine energy because that's so important. I think the key underlying any movement that you prioritize at this age, it's got to be strength-based, Okay, right? So we don't want to continue losing muscle mass, so we have to do resistance training, right? Now, that can be in so many different forms. I think we often think in the fitness industry makes us think that we have to lift heavy things, mm. we have to do things at a really high-intensity you know, we've got to be always pushing harder and faster and that goes to that masculine energy, right? Yeah. So it's about saying, but there's so many other ways that we can build strength, you know, and I think we're so fortunate in Bendigo particularly in in Victoria now that, you know, Pilates has, has a bit of a resurgence and even bar movements and yoga that allow us to build strength but without having, let's be honest, a lot of those high-impact stuff cause inflammation and pain and injury and most of us don't have the core strength, right? We well, talk time. We talk time. Right, we don't have the core strength to do burpees. Yeah, and, and we don't need to. It actually is pro-inflammatory. Yeah. So we want to chill the body out. When less is more, we want to focus on resistance training. So that just means lifting a load that you know causes the body and the bones to get a little bit stronger. Yeah. So you can do that lighter weights, high repetition. That works really well. But the beautiful thing about Pilates is you get to bend and move and open up the body as well. So you get a very functionally fit, balanced body. And when your body is happy, and that's what you want it to be, you want it to be happy, you'll naturally let go of weight that doesn't serve you. So less is more, two to three sessions a week, less than 45 minutes. Okay. You well, want to give the body lots of rest too.
0: Yeah. I think most women just heard you say the burpees are unnecessary. <laughs> totally. <laughs> because that's true. That's the truth, that we don't have the core strength. 90% of us don't have the core strength to support. Some of these ridiculous exercises that we're
1: getting told we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, we are. T- and, and look, that's partly the fitness industry hasn't quite caught up yet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of people that go into the fitness industry are younger. Yeah. And look, you know, that's what their training is, but they don't understand. Well, they can't. They haven't experienced the change, you know, through childbirth and then now this midlife transition But what our bodies are doing differently. And those things just don't bring joy to most people I see, but the problem is we hold on to this perception that that's yes. what we have to do and then we beat ourselves up because it hurts or it's painful. Well, everyone else seems to be able to do it, Every- like Well, yeah, everyone yeah. else seems to be able to do it, but in most cases women who have been doing that, they come to us because they're gaining weight mm. and I think there's that disconnect. You've got to say, well, why is my body gaining weight, right? And the other thing too is
0: some of my friends who are nurses, they're seeing these people who have prolapses mm-hmm. because they're doing these intense exercise where they've got no pelvic floor or no core strength, or no hip strength, and they're like, you just burped yourself into a prolapse.
1: Yeah, absolutely, or burst. Yes, but prolapses, I saw a few prolapses last week, actually, yeah. in the studio. So, yeah, it's really, really bad, but again, no one's really educating women about how to change this during midlife, so if we can actually build in more rest, your body will actually respond beautifully to it, and then just get outside and just walk, you know, that's all you need to do. You don't need to be on a treadmill, you don't need to sit on a boring, oh, sorry, I think they're boring, but boring exercise bike for whatever, go swim outside where it's beautiful with you. Go walk with your kids. Go, you know, all of that sort of stuff. That's the amazing stuff. Enjoy the rest of life, but just be active.
0: Mm. Well, luckily we have people like you who are hell bent on educating this new generation coming through and we can educate our children and their friends and create this collectiveness of treating our body with honour rather than the intention to torture it to look a particular way. It's all about let's feel a particular way. Let's work on that inflammation, work on that flexibility, work on that mind strength, work on balancing and approving our body as it makes its transition rather than demonizing
1: it and being angry at it. Just slow down and go with the flow. Yeah, look at it as an opportunity to lean into this stage of life rather than fighting against your body. I think that's probably the takeaway for me as well is that it's this real opportunity to bring more joy into your life and to do things differently and you can still be strong. And you could still be capable, but it's just going to look a little bit different to what it did in your early years. And thank God, I don't want to go back to being in my 20s and 30s anyway. I actually love this age because I feel braver and I feel more confident trying new things and, you know, just enjoying being in the skin that I'm in. I think it's a beautiful transition. So I want to, you know, I hope more women are able to do that or to see things a little bit differently because it, it certainly improves your relationship with your kids. It improves your relationship with your partner and so forth as well.
0: Beautiful. Well, thank you, Nerida. Can you please tell us where your studio is and how people can come to a class there or come and see you as a dietitian?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my studio is actually based in Hargraves, Mal. We're tucked away on the first floor there, but we're quite near the Evans shoes. Most of them don't know where the shoe shop is if they're to pentigo local. We're on the first floor there. So um, you're most welcome to pop in and see us or you can check out our website at barsociety.com.au and obviously I do nutrition consults through there but we often run programs that are the trifecta I suppose where we work with women over a you know program period to do movement nutrition and accountability and obviously mindset's part of that as well so look out for those programs we do advertise on Facebook and things so we let women know and then I'm also because I'm so passionate about this area I've actually teamed up with another dietitian and we're launching a coaching program specifically for women in perimenopause that's going to be launching at the end of September and that's called Well Woman. Wonderful. And I'm going to spell that out just quickly if that's okay because it's W-E-L-L-W-O-M-N. M-M. M-N. M-N. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Without the E. Good. Great. <laughs> Do so, it again. <laughs> you want me to spell it out yes, again? Yes, W-O-M-N. So there's no men. Does that make sense? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's kind it's of what a fabulous now. play on words it. it is. So that will be launching as well. We're getting all our, our socials and our website up now. So we're all building behind the scenes, but um, that's going to be fabulous. I'm so excited. I just hope it spreads like wildflower. It yeah. should, hopefully. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. It has been so refreshing and the clarity you've brought for me and I'm sure many others say is invaluable and wonderful and just so well-timed so I appreciate your time coming in and chatting today sharing your knowledge and just really being passionate about women in this middle part of their life where we're often neglected and forgotten so thank you for coming today I look forward to having you in the workshop I'm going to come and do something in your space and it's all these women collaborating together building the collective up together witnessing life together and cheering for one another It can only be great. So thank you. Thank you, Gail. And that's all for today, folks. As always, thank you for lending me your ears and your hearts. I feel so grateful and blessed to be able to share these stories with you and bring us together as a community. This is Gail Wilson and this is Soul Care Bendigo's podcast, Naked. Don't forget to follow and subscribe so that you get notifications on the next episode as it lands. Take care and just be kind to yourself.